the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Welcome back to the Seth Liebson Show. I am Seth. It is Wednesday, August 31st, 2022. Sorry, I had a little bit of a jumbled start there. I was I was, I was, was scratching my head at an article I, op-ed I was just reading from Max Boot in the Washington Post. I, I really just I didn't have my earphones on. I, I was encircelled. That's a good word. I was encircelled by what I was reading by Max Boot. Many of you know uh, or might know of Max Boot. Um, or who he is. If you don't, uh, he used to be a uh, conservative. Uh, he used to be a Republican advisor uh, to uh, conservatives and Republican candidates for office, uh, George W. Bush administration. Um, and he was hired by the Washington Post, formerly of the Council on Foreign Relations. Actually, he may still be there, but he was at the Council of Foreign Relations and then uh, became a conservative op-ed writer or the conservative op-ed writer. For the Washington Post, he left his uh, Republican Party uh, credentials and conservatism uh, when Donald Trump became president. But the Washington Post, of course, kept him. Uh, no problem there, right? Right. Uh, and you know, he's since made a cottage industry uh, for himself as um, having seen the light. Even wrote a book on it. Why he was wrong to be uh, affiliated with the conservative movement and the Republican Party for so many years. Uh, the last funny picture I saw of him, and there's a reason I'm telling you this, last picture I saw of him was funny, or funny in a way he may not have intended it to be. Uh, when he was on his book promotion tour, he did the uh, Bill Maher show, and uh, this would have been during the Trump administration, I'm guessing somewhere around 2018, somewhere in there. And he was on the same show as... Um, uh, that woman who was stalking uh, Donald Trump, Stormy Daniels. And uh, I remember he took a picture with her um, at a uh, with drinks in hand uh, in the uh, in the green room. And he put it uh, all over social media. He was so proud to be standing with Stormy Daniels. This, you know, great theoretically in his own mind, at least great academic is, you know, he's now cool. He's now hip, I guess, was the thought. Anyway, you do you do know that Stormy Daniels ended up having to pay Trump's lawyers, right? That's that's how serious that all went. People thought Michael Avenatti and Stormy Daniels would be the end of the Trump administration. People thought Michael Avenatti would be running for president. My gosh, we ran those clips once upon a time too, didn't we? Anyway, the reason for my being so uh, bewitched by this um, most recent post of his, most recent piece of his at the Washington Post, uh, started with the title. MAGA Republicans are out of touch with real America. And he writes, I've been having a ball this summer. I've been spending time in some of the most liberal enclaves, enclaves in America. First, Martha's Vineyard, then Provincetown, Massachusetts. And he says, it's easy in such environs to imagine that you're not in the real America. But you know what? I'm quoting directly, but you know what? Provincetown is the real America. 
so is Martha's Vineyard. These communities are undoubtedly on the left and prone to some some excess of political correctness that make for easy punchlines. But in many ways, they might be more representative of 2022 America than the Rust Belt diners or reporters love to take the pulse of Trump Landia. Does he really think Martha's Vineyard and Provincetown are the real America? I was just I mean, there's any number of ways to think about this. But Martha's Vineyard, the land of the Kennedys and Barack Obama and the Clintons, uh, Martha's Vineyard, where the average uh, price for a house is over a million dollars or Provincetown, where the average price of a house is nine hundred thousand dollars is is this the real america um is 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 this more representative of america in 2022 than russ we used to make fun we used to make fun of politicians and writers who spoke of spoke derisively of flyover america uh or middle america they would they would they they would think that and they do think that the coasts are the most important parts of America, particularly California and New York. And if you want to go to their their uh, secondary fiefdoms, it would be their neighboring states. So places like Connecticut on the East Coast uh, or on the West Coast, places like Oregon or Washington State. Um, and of course, they're. The concern of the Democrats and the liberal establishment and the intellects, in part because of, yes, it's true, a lot of colleges and universities in those areas, but also because those places have become very, very liberal left places. And so much so, Republican candidates, to my disappointment, Republican candidates for president don't really even campaign much in those states. Part of me understands that when you have limited funds, et cetera, and limited time to make your case in an electoral college race, that you don't spend as much time in those states. But part of me regrets that those states never get to see Republican candidates for president and actually hear what they have to say rather than what Democrats say they have to say. But this derision, I thought, was mostly over after the 2016 election. I thought this notion of middle America being irrelevant America had ended on the uh, crashing of the Clinton Hillary Clinton campaign on the shoals of reality. You will remember that she didn't campaign much in places like Wisconsin or Michigan, and Donald Trump did. You will recall that in this one particular town in Wisconsin that used to be uh, one of the great um, one of the great uh, manufacturing towns that had been washed out by the economies of uh, the liberals and the globalists and the elites that um, instead of sending Hillary Clinton, she sent Ted Danson and his wife, Mary Steenburgen, to talk about what to talk about the environment. So if you're part of the liberal elite, if you're part of this avant garde view of the world, um, you think that the most important thing in the world is the environment, whereas Americans in large parts of this country may have very serious views about the environment, but they're not more important 
than how they're going to put food on the table and if they're going to get a job. They're not more important to them than that, especially when they see not only their jobs disappearing, but their industries disappearing. Attach this series of thoughts to what California is doing right now with electric vehicles. Have you seen this story? It's a fantastic story about California and the woke. So the state of California, let me read this from Fox News. The state of California, although I've heard it in a bunch of places, I could just as well read it to you from CNN or Newsweek, but this is the first one that came up and I'm kind of working live here. So not kind of, I'm working live here. The state of California is fading, facing a heat wave that is expected to get worse as the, as the weeks go on. But House Republican Whip Steve Scalise of Louisiana is not very sympathetic when the state's power operator said they are now recommending limiting electric car charging as the state moves towards making that the only option. The California Independent System Operator, known as ISO, which handles the state's power grid, issued a bulletin yesterday in which they warned of extreme heat, especially during the upcoming Labor Day weekend, that, quote, is likely to strain the grid with increased energy demands. They added they expect to call upon residents to take voluntary measures to, quote, reduce power consumption, including taking a break from using large appliances and charging electric vehicles, close quote. So this notion of electric vehicles being our way out of the environmental crisis and the way of the future is already taking a huge hit in the state that builds them, in the state that makes them, in the state that, ready for the punchline, won't allow the sale of gas vehicles after the year 2035. Did you know that? Now, yes, you could point out, well, they have some years to figure it out. But they're forcing it down our throats now. Yeah, that's real America to max boot. A regulation you cannot meet with a regulation that stops you from the regulation you're trying to comply with. They're not creating problems in order to create solutions, which is bad enough. They're creating problems that create even more problems. That's the real America, along with Martha's of course, in Provincetown, to the elites at the Washington Post and in the Democratic Party and Gavin Newsom. That's going to be an interesting one for him to deal with if he decides to run for president. I'm Seth Liebson, 602-508-0960. We'll be right back. Welcome back to the Seth Liebson Show. I was just watching the video. You've all seen it now several times where the White House press secretary, Karen Jean-Pierre, was uh, being grilled by Peter Ducey uh, two days ago about how is it that uh, we can't allow in to the United States a world-class tennis player, Djokovic, um, because he refuses to get vaccinated. By the way, do you know he's had COVID already? Uh, He refuses to uh, take the vaccine, um, which, again, let's remember— helps him, doesn't help you, he can't come into the United States, but thousands of illegal border crossers, thousands of illegal immigrants per day can walk freely through our border 
whereas Karen Jean-Pierre was saying, well, that's not how it happens. I was looking at uh, a piece, uh, Max Boot, uh, not Max Boot, I was talking about Max Boot earlier, Mark Krikorian, the opposite of Max Boot, <laughs> Mark Krikorian had at the New York Post. Mark Krikorian, a uh, regular guest on this show, we should get him back, Bill, remind me about that. Mark Krikorian uh, is the head of the Center for Immigration Studies, probably knows more about immigration policy than uh, maybe, maybe anyone in the country. And he was writing a column about this, and I think it's worth uh, worth relating here, especially given an attendant piece of news that just came out of the CDC. So wait for it. He says, he writes, Ducey asked Karen Jean-Pierre, somebody unvaccinated comes over on a plane. You say that's not OK. Somebody walks into Texas or Arizona unvaccinated. They're allowed to stay. Karen Jean-Pierre said that's not how it works. It's not like someone walks over. Back to Mark Krikorian. Actually, it's exactly like that. From October of last year through July this year, the Border Patrol apprehended more than 1.8 million illegal border crossers at the southern border, more than any year in history. And there are still two months to go in the fiscal year. May I highlight this again? Because the head of the Department of Homeland Security, Alejandro Mayorka, says the border is closed. The border is secure. He has repeated that many times. And yet, and yet, the Border Patrol has apprehended more than 1.8 million illegal border crossers at the southern border more than any year in history, and there are still two months to go in the fiscal year. Each day in July, an average of nearly 6,000 illegal migrants were arrested at the border or encountered in the new politically correct jargon we use. And while some of these people didn't want to get caught, a huge share of them did, in fact, just walk over and turn themselves in, secure in the knowledge that the Biden Department of Homeland Security would allow them to stay. Just last weekend in South Texas, three groups of illegal migrants totaling nearly 500 people just simply walked over the border, just simply walked over the border and into the country. In Yuma, Arizona, the checkpoint I've been to a few times, so many illegal migrants are walking over the border through a gap in the fence left by President Bush's inauguration day stop work order that there are chairs next to the fence for those waiting for rides from the Border Patrol. Some of the border jumpers really are returned to Mexico under a COVID-era public health order called Title 42, which the Biden administration is still trying to end under the theory that COVID is over, though it's not over for the purposes of bailing out college debtors in the amounts of $10,000. That's the policy under which Joe Biden is justifying it. It's an emergency. What emergency? COVID. It's an emergency for the students who can't pay or for the graduates who can't pay back their loans. But it's not an emergency when it comes to protecting our border anymore. But since Inauguration Day, get this, since Inauguration Day for Joe Biden, this administration has released over one million illegal border crossers into the U.S., few, if any of whom, will ever leave. They may or may not show up for their asylum hearings at, at some point in the future, but even if they do and lose, guess what? They just stay, because who's going to look for them? Who's going to send them back? Who's going to take them? Some might imagine that the press secretary's it's not like someone just walks over comment was a brazen lie. 
But as Mark Gregorian says, I don't think so. She just doesn't strike me as being as cunning as her predecessor, Jen Psaki. Instead, I think that, like many Americans, especially Democrats, she really has no idea what disaster the border is and how much Biden's policies are responsible for it. Pause on that and think about the various crises that are taking place in America right now. You would think a million illegal immigrants we can't account for would be one of them. You would think with the explosion of fentanyl and other illegal drugs pouring through the border and killing Americans at record rates, this is what I'm going to tie it to in a few moments with the CDC, that that would be an urgency, an emergency, something major the president want to want to deal with. But this is why Joe Biden, neither Joe Biden nor Kamala Harris, Kamala Harris, neither of them have actually visited the border. You know why? It's not because they don't want to see what's going on. They know what's going on. It's that they don't want the cameras following them because cameras follow them wherever they go so that mainstream media shows the rest of the country what's actually going on. That's what Mark Corian is talking about. It's literally true. Most Americans have no idea what is going on at the border. I don't even know, quite honestly, if most Arizonans do. I don't know if most Texans do. The media blackout has been that bad, which is why I suggest if you have an opportunity to take a tour of the border or go and see it for yourself in a safe way, please do. Please do and report back. I've done it a few times. I've sent out pictures. We've talked about it on the radio show. It's been a little while, what, about a year or so since my last trip, but maybe a little longer, maybe a little more like a year and a half. But I can't I, 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 I can't remember seeing chairs for people to sit and wait. I do remember seeing the gaps. In fact, we have video of me walking through the gaps, going back and forth between Mexico through the gaps in the wall. It's natural to discount comments from political opponents. And when Peter Ducey, whom the White House clearly sees as a political opponent, said migrants were just walking into the United States, Jean-Pierre responded like it was an absurd falsehood. Because really, what government would allow millions of legal migrants to just walk across the border? Well, the answer is her government, as it turns out, which gets to a point I was making last week, which was when the Democrats are lying about something, why is it they're lying about a truth that is helpful to conservatives, lying about the border, lying about any number of things that are taking place in this country? Why do they do that? Why do they do that? Because they know if the American people knew the full story, it would be unacceptable. The lie is always, always against a truth that is helpful to conservatives, because not that they just hate conservatives, which they do, but they know that the truth would hurt them. That's why they're so focused on the lie. That's why the lie is so important to them. That's why the cover up and the dissimulation is so critical to their political success. That is why we now know of the collusion between the media and the Department of Justice's FBI on the Hunter Biden laptop and so many other things, because they knew if the truth got out, they would never be elected into office. I'm Seth Liebson. We'll be right back. 
Welcome back to the Seth Leapson Show. 34 after the hour brings us John Dombrowski with our culture and economy update. John Dombrowski is the founder and president of Grand Canyon Planning Associates. GrandCanyonPlanning.com is his website. It's a fun website. It's a fun office. It's also a smart office. He also has his own radio show here every Saturday morning. Smart and fun as well. The Word on Wealth every 7 a.m. right here on 960. How are you today, John? Having fun. You are yeah, having fun, being smart. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> I want to ask you about um, investors and their uh, ability to make changes uh, in their asset allocations uh, during these kind of economic moments we're in. But before I do that, a quick question from a headline I saw in the Wall Street Journal. Mm-hmm. Um, Bed Bath & Beyond, a store we all know of, uh, even if we don't all shop there, but it's, it's saying they're closing 150 stores, cutting staff, selling shares to raise cash. When major companies, John, in America go through these problems, is that a warning sign or is it more like it can be a warning sign? Well, I mean – does, it, does a thing like that say a bigger thing about our economy? Every business is different, right? Okay, so if yeah. you look at uh, – think of JCPenney. Think of Sears, yeah. right? And right. these are companies that have been around forever, but yeah. yet they had financial difficulty. They shut down stores and filed for bankruptcy and so forth. And that didn't necessarily mean that the rest of you know, okay. retail – fair enough. Or, you know, has, has. But Bed Bath & Beyond, I mean, this has been one of those – uh, meme stocks. You've been having a lot of people in and out of these uh, pushing the stocks higher, pushing the stock lower. I mean, it's been it's it's going through a, a real uh, change here, and uh, it's just been a company that's been very volatile. And okay. I don't th- really think that people should be probably uh, unless you're very schooled, you know, in investing. Probably this might be a company to stay away from. Okay. For now. Okay. All right. Talk to me about uh, recession fears and 401 investors and their ability to do what you specialize in, what you're expert at, which is helping people navigate where they should be in their portfolios. Oh, it's a great – this is a great article, Seth, uh, and the reason is is because – and I've talked about this a lot with you and, and on my own radio show, which is – uh, within a 401k, you're limited as to whatever that 401k offers as far as the investments that you can choose to allocate your money to, towards. So there are oftentimes uh, very, very limited choices that you have in a 401k. Uh, when money is outside of a 401k in an IRA or in a non-retirement account or a Roth IRA, something like that, uh, you have a very wide range of opportunity to invest in just about anything. Mm-hmm. So as an independent investment advisor, we have that ability to help our clients invest in whatever is applicable to them and suitable for them. Uh, and we're able to adjust that portfolio on a regular basis um, very easily, whereas within a 401k, not so much. You have minimal funds that you can invest in. You may not be able to diversify or choose specific sectors that you may want to invest in. They just may not have those opportunities. And what this article is basically saying is is that only 5% of participants in 401ks have made adjustments to their portfolios uh, during this extreme volatility that we've seen this yeah. year. Yeah. Uh, and what they're basically saying is is that's because it's not being managed and because they don't have the choices, as I just mentioned. Yeah. And a lot of the individuals that invest in 401ks, they invest in what are called target date funds. So if you have the belief that you're going to retire in uh, maybe 
five years from now, you might invest in a 2030 uh, fund, okay. as an example, or a 2025 fund. They usually have incremental uh, years of five five years. So 2025, 2030, 2035, 2040. And th- that uh, number of years away from retirement is going to indicate what the risk level would be within that portfolio. Uh-huh. So the longer term you are with that, the higher the risk is going to be. Uh, okay. And the thought is that it's being somewhat managed on a yearly basis as you get closer and closer to retirement. The risk is you know, being minimized along the way. But that doesn't necessarily give you the same type of uh, ability to you know, invest in certain areas of the market during certain periods of time that may make sense. So um, it is a way at least to be – you know, uh, invested, uh, but it is really a buy and a, a hold and just forget about it type of an approach. Uh, so that's what this is saying here. And so people in 401ks are not making the adjustments because they really don't have the ability to do so. Uh, but working with an outside invi- advisor can help maybe get you to that point. Now, one thing also, Seth, is when you're the age of 59 and a half, yeah. people should think about this. Yeah. You can move your money out of your 401k in most right. cases into an IRA for no penalty, no cost, no tax liability, and now you open up the opportunity to be able to invest in other areas of the market. Okay, so that's an important thing to yeah. keep in mind, and people may not know that very mm-hmm. well. What's the age, 59 and a half? 59 and a half. We do that for our clients all the time. So if you're over 59 and a half and you want to look at this type of an opportunity, please reach out to us. Go to our website, grandcanyonplanning.com. Request an appointment right there. Happy to sit down and talk with you about this. Thank you, John Dombrowski. You're the best. I really appreciate it. Interesting story. My gosh. Thank Thank you you. very much. I'm Seth Leibson, 602-508-0960. We shall be right back. Welcome back to the Seth Leibson Show. Every Wednesday, we check in with our constitutional expert lawyer, attorney Brett Johnson. He is a partner with the Snell and Wilmer Law Firm based here, but offices throughout the country. SWLaw.com is their website. Brett, how are you this afternoon? Good, good. How are you, Seth? I'm doing just fine. Thank you. Um, I remember being with some um, lawyers on election night. And they were getting calls. Some of them were representing the Republican Party. Some of them were representing it nationally. Some of them were representing the Trump Trump election campaign. And I remember they were getting some pressure from some of their partners. Some of their clients were putting pressure on their partners uh, about representing the Republicans and Donald Trump. And I thought, okay, maybe this is just election night jitters. Maybe this is a one-off. But my gosh, I am reading about more and more attorneys getting punished for representing, quote unquote, unpopular or politically incorrect um, clients. And this is not a small issue. I am seeing article after article about this. A lot of us know about what's happening with uh, Rudy Giuliani and how he's getting um, put in, in an awkward position, discipline surrounding political type cases. How big of a problem is this? And what, what is this about, Brett? 
and and I think, um, and I'm I'm seeing obviously the same articles, and you know, every, every morning I get a list of new cases that come out, and um, articles of interest to lawyers around the country, and, and I I think that it is actually um, uh, prevalent and actually extremely risky for our democracy, um, whichever side of the aisle you're on, by the way, because you know the Democratic attorneys get get the same um, type of cases, and there's example after example for those, and and on you mentioned election night and right after the election night you had you know between the lincoln project or other activists actually putting attorneys who represented different political parties on social media where they personally lived and where their oh my gosh were i didn't realize that okay oh yeah and, and encourage people to basically show up kind of how it happened with justice kavanaugh's mm-hmm. um when when after um the draft opinion came out recently that they said go go to these justices houses and and that's that's really really troubling because our our whole country was founded upon having good legal representation through the judiciary is one of the few branches that not many people had concerns about too much when the Constitution was being drafted and the revolution was going on. So you have Article 1, Article 2, and then Article 3. It's almost like an after effect in, in many cases. And the reason being is because the judiciary was so kind of sacrosanct in, in trying to protect people's individual rights during the revolutionary process, etc. And you have to remember, even this goes back to John Adams, That's who right. took one of the most you know, uh, unpopular cases. He was an ardent uh, revolutionary. Mm-hmm. He, he firmly believed uh, to be severed from, from England, and yet he represented, before the revolution, he represented the British soldiers in the Boston Massacre, mm-hmm. and it's uh, obviously that's of lore. Mm-hmm. And, and so that is kind of like the foundation foundation of, of our judiciary, but over the last few few years, the last few cycles, it has gotten really bad. And in fact, and I'll give you one last analogy, as an election attorney, we, it's a pretty small bar. Not mm-hmm. a lot of people are doing election law because it comes around every two years. Now it's actually a full-time job all year <laughs> Right, even after the election, <laughs> right. After, yes, right. Yes. But, but, but back in the day, it was really you know, a very small bar. And, and you'd bring cases, and I remember the cases that I brought in 2020 in regard to the initiatives, and we took on three initiatives. The lawyers who were against us, who I've known for a very long time, immediately sent me what's called a Rule 11 letter, which said, we think that you are bringing this case for bad faith, and it's sanctionable, and all the parade of horrors that was going to happen to me personally in my career for bringing these cases. And I know these individuals, Mm -hmm. and ironically, we won all three cases. (laughs) Not ironically, predictably. 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 Okay. I know know how good you are. Yeah. Yeah, well, but it is is. Seriously concerning, this is one of the topics I'm glad we were talking about it, because whichever side of the aisle, you want the best attorneys possible. And the reason being, actually, it's selfish for anybody who's listening, because if you're ever in a predicament going against the government right. and all of the resources of the government, you want the best representation possible to represent your rights. And and that's what I think some people are kind of forgetting now. It's like, well, I don't want to do business with them because they represent X, Y, or Z. Mm-hmm. And that's really short-sightedness and can have really damaging impact because otherwise we might as well be the Chinese communist government and the first people they throw in jail are the lawyers. Right. Um, so it's that that's the, the concerning part here. Brett, you know, it's a funny thing because there's, there's something going on about the political being more important than the actual, the theoretical being more important than the actual, because I don't think you see this 
with attorneys in the criminal bar who defend, you know, some of the worst aggressors in our country, the worst murderers in our country. You don't see pressure on them. I mean, maybe maybe their friends will. You do. You're seeing more and more. Well, and and, and I'll give you some examples. So when I went to law school um, back in the day, uh, OJ, the OJ case was a big one. And and the best lawyers in America wanted to be part of that case Mm -hmm. because of, quite honestly, when you get to argue law at that level, it it is a professional experience. And it's right? televised, you're, you're, right? It's televised. Maybe a reason not to have good. cameras in the courtroom. We can do that yeah. another time, but go on. Yeah. 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 And the one reason is I don't give uh, press conferences. <laughs> okay. uh, but, right. but but on, on, on that point is, is that, you know, you wanted to be part of that to be able to argue it. And in, in the most recent case, and obviously a horrific um, um, situation, was the Weinstein cases dealing with, uh, you know, the sexual assault sure. on women um, by Harvey Weinstein and, and a very prominent um, um, Harvard law professor yep. decided, I'm going to take on this case, yep. Professor Sullivan, right. and um, basically got fired, okay. you know, ran, ran out of Harvard. So there is an example. There is where that. When I, okay, when so I in these preferred school, protected areas, yeah, okay, but that's a politically correct thing too, isn't it? Yeah. That's true. That's true. So everything on the politically uh, correct aspect of it, but you know, and then there's sometimes when the case is so horrendous, some shootings and whatnot, uh, the public defenders or defense counsel are are resistant to take on those cases, and obviously they may know them, and it's going to be a change of venue, and it's a very difficult personal situation, and I get it. So I do always appreciate when a judge appoints a very good attorney to represent a very unpopular defendant. And I think it's very important for that to happen and that individual to be willing to step up to the plate. Now, when I was in the military, uh, I I always thought I didn't have a choice not to take a case. My commanding officer said, you are going to go take this case. And I did so. Um, And it was only afterwards where I understood some people may not have wanted to take some of the cases I took, um, such as the the Guantanamo uh, terrorist cases. You know, military lawyers, swore the Constitution wearing the uniform, representing some of the more most notorious terrorists in the world, but trying their best to exercise rights. And the reason being is, is that those military lawyers understood that the rule of law is paramount. Mm-hmm. And even if they could not even stand the person they were representing, they had an obligation to put the best defense possible forward. And that is kind of the root of our judicial system. And um, basically, everyone is entitled to the defense. And I guarantee you, if, if it happens to you, you're going to want the best to counsel possible. Well, you think about some of this in, yes, going up, you're going up against the government, and the government has obviously tremendous resources. Uh, I, I, I don't know what their success rate is generally uh, once once they get into criminal litigation. You may know off the top of your head, but I once heard one of my law professors say, when you think of the resources the federal government has when it comes after you, it's amazing they don't win 100 percent of the time. Uh, they, pro- they probably win over 85 percent, but it's amazing they that they don't win over 100. I had another attorney on uh, about a week ago, you may have heard of him, Alan Dershowitz, oh, and yeah. we were talking about his social uh, stigmatization by taking on uh, the representation of Donald Trump in the impeachment trial. He has a book about that, the price of uh, the, the price of, uh, of of candor, something like that. It's titled, um, and 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 he was talking about how he's gotten speech canceled after speech canceled after speech canceled um, from organizations he's spoken to for years. So, the, one of the things that was interesting about our discussion was we were both kind of going down memory lane, growing up. You know, a lot of us, the heroes were lawyers who took on, you know, 
uh, cases of the damned. In fact, that was the biography of uh, Clarence Darrow was called Attorney for the Damned. These guys were kind of heroes for taking on the cases no one wanted to because their clients were so unpopular. That has changed tremendously, hasn't it? There's there's no more respect for that anymore. Now there's pressure and legal sanction. I mean, I guess you can get in trouble with the bar for making an argument or a novel argument or a unique argument on behalf of a uh, unpopular client. Yeah, absolutely. And then obviously, you know, there's a line to be drawn. Yeah, lawyers have to present facts and have a good faith uh, yeah, basis of course. in their law. But yeah. your, your, your job is to test the law. What is also concerning, I think I've mentioned this before, you know, there's a California law, for example, that says that if you, as a lawyer, if you challenge uh, the California firearms laws, right, yeah. under Second Amendment, you better win every single claim because if you win nine out of ten, California has three years to come after you as a lawyer, not your client, as a lawyer for attorney's fees for the entire case. And that that's kind of scary that now our legislatures are actually putting it in law. Let's go let, let's go attack the lawyer who's trying to defend somebody's Second Amendment. Wow. I'm right. Wow. Very concerned. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that point you just made is an important one. And I want to maybe examine that with you next week about Rule 11. But that point being that, you know, sometimes you want to you want to try and exercise the contours of the law. You might want to try a novel argument. Uh, to break a precedent or to challenge an existing unfairness. Brett, this is a great outline. I'd like to pick up on it with you, as I say, next week, if we can. Absolutely. I'm Seth Leibson. He's Brett Johnson. SWLaw.com. Snell and Wilmer. Thank you, Brett. I'm Seth. We'll be right back. Welcome back to the Seth Liebson Show. A lot more coming up. If you want to get a little bit of an understanding about what is this thing, fascism, that Joe Biden keeps talking about, stay tuned. We're going to get into it a little bit into the next hour. I think you'll appreciate it. Boy, does he have it exactly upside down. No big surprise there. Portions of this show brought to you by Cool Touch Air Conditioning, Heating, and Plumbing. I've used them for years. If you have air conditioning needs or plumbing needs, check out Cool Touch. CoolTouch.us or give them a call at 623-748-4942. 623-748-4942. From the moment you call them, you'll know something good and different is in that company. It is the founding ethic from Chris Funk and his team. It's also their excellent service. Cool Touch. US. Don't go away. A lot more coming up. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com. <laughs> 